Now serving B24 at DMV window number 7. Okay, Jim, we're next in line. Perfect, Jim. Things are going very smoothly. You remember the cell phone bill? Yes, and the birth certificate. Nice. We'll have a real ID in no time. That's right. Ready to fly to Carla's graduation and then the big game. Real great work, Jim. You too, Jim. Excuse me, are you talking to yourself? Now serving B25 at window number 10. That's our cue, Jim. Excuse us. Talk yourself into real ID readiness by May 3rd, 2023. Make a plan at dhs.gov slash real ID. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Everything's going to shit. I might as well just do the most wreckage I can. Just wreck everything I can as fast as I can. The end is near. This is the decline and fall of Ted Bundy. Theodore Bundy, part three. Hooray. Yay. Um, but before we get started, uh, we did want to talk a little bit about a really cool person who we met um, two weeks ago while she happened to be in town. Mm-hmm. Um, we met by happenstance. Mm-hmm. Jen, you want to tell a little bit about our chance interaction with a famous jewelry designer? Yes. So uh, the three of us went out to the Elliott Borough Mini Bar, not last weekend, the weekend before. And when we say... Elliott Barrel Mini Bar, it's literally like a tiny bar. Yep, about the size of the studio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So we were all packed in there like sardines, and um, a couple of seats at the bar opened up. I sat down, and I thought Nicole and John were behind me, but they, they were talking to uh, some mutual friends. And this young lady came up to the seat and said, is anyone sitting here? I said, no, you can sit there. Because I asked John and Nicole if they were going to come sit down, and they said no. So I was just sitting at the bar all by myself. Don't be so dramatic. And so I said, yeah, you can sit there. So we got to talking and her name is Haley LaBeouf from Austin, Texas. And she is a jewelry designer. And we got to talking and she was really cool. And then uh, Nicole and John came over. I was like, hey, meet my new friend. And then we became friends. She was in Charleston on vacation by herself. So kudos to you, Haley. Well, she was trying to get some jewelry into some stores, which is cool. Too. Yeah, but still, she came all by herself. And which is something that I like wouldn't do as far as vacationing. Although I did move down here by myself. So that's... That's something else, too. Well, I mean, I had my friend with me when I moved, so that's that's different, too. So she came down here all by herself, like, alone, and she was just going to different places and hanging out, and so we, we ended all, up going to dinner. Yeah, we all went to dinner at the Obstinate Daughter, had a really fun time, so she's actually having a promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, On our Instagram page, yeah. uh, just in time for Valentine's Day, um, and I actually really, really love some of her pieces. John will say he doesn't know anything about jewelry, but um, she has some really, really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think now that we've made such good friends with her, wanted to at least share it with you guys if you're interested. Mm -hmm. It's Haley LaBeouf. And that's if you go to her Instagram page, H-A-L-E-Y-L-E-B-E-U-F. Just go there on her Instagram and she'll talk a little bit about this promotion that she's got going on. But it's a giveaway 
that she's partnering up with Clark and Taft. So if you follow her and comment and tag a couple friends and do the same on this Clark and Taft, um, you get some jewelry, you get a men's tote. So it takes care of the Valentine's Day gift, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yep. It is a Valentine's Day giveaway. Yes. So so So, if you guys want to get me a Valentine's Day gift, this would be a perfect place to go. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. So check her out. She's also on Etsy. So Haley LaBeouf, follow her on Instagram. Uh, She's super cool. And it was awesome to meet a famous jewelry designer. Yeah, she was really chill. Loved her. Thanks, Haley, for hanging out with us and for having a fancy schmancy dinner at Obstinate Daughter with us and Mm -hmm. trying lots of different foods. Yeah, for sure. All right. Here's what we're doing for this episode. And for maybe every episode moving forward. If you leave us a a review, we're going to pick the best review every episode and the best review left that week will receive a swag bag from us including the book like I, i'll send you stranger beside me the Ooh. Anne rule book oh dang i want to read that yeah. plus stickers plus uh we'll all sign the book the whole tm2m team will sign the book for you but we need the best review so what if they've already left us a review on itunes they can leave another one leave and leave Leave one on someone else's phone yeah leave one on someone else's phone the best review and if you've already left a review you better grab that hubby's phone and leave us a good review. We don't want some, oh, it's a good podcast. It's a great podcast. I love listening to it. We want something. And we love those reviews, too. Yeah, we love those reviews. We love all good reviews. We want you to We want you to write a freaking book. Yes. A five-star rating plus the comment. Yeah. Plus the comment. And the best will read out, and you'll receive a swag bag, which includes this week's book, The Stranger Beside Me. It's the brand new edition from Anne Rule, one of the most celebrated true crime books in the world. And we'll sign this, the TM2M crew will sign it, and we'll throw some stickers in there. Nice. And we'll send it straight to you. Well, I'm surprised that you're willing to part ways with this book. I, I, And the reason why is because every book sale I've ever been to, I have found every Anne Rule book but this one. And I know there will be a day when I find it, and that will be... Could you imagine if we end up at a book sale like 15 years from now and we find our version? Well, that would suck because I mean they didn't keep it. Yeah, it would suck, but wouldn't it be cool? Yeah, it would. Uh, That'd be kind of like the law of attraction that comes back to you or something like that. I think the better alternative is we find that that book is worth a million dollars. Yeah. Are you... The Shelby thing where, like, our, is in the evidence. What is you, the Shelby you, thing? I don't know what the Shelby thing is. You want to tell her now? Okay, okay. So, uh, speaking of awesome people, so uh, we got a couple of awesome Facebook recommendations, which we love, too. iTunes help us more. Um, and the reason why I, I think it was helpful when Shelby uh, and I were talking on the phone, um, the reason why five-star iTunes reviews plus comments help us is because when other people are listening to podcasts, say they listen to the last podcast on the left, if we're highly recommended and highly rated, we are more likely to be seen as 
other podcasts that you might listen to. So that little icon comes up on the bottom. So it's really, really helpful. We've got a couple of a, like a very small handful of bad reviews on there, which, you know, teach their own. We, 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 we're not everybody's cup of tea. We're not trying to be. But like we do us trying really hard and uh, to not be background noise. And so uh, we we know that there are a lot of you out there who listen and and do like our podcast, but maybe haven't left us a review. And it just really means so much to us. We're we're a small podcast. We're we're not big and famous. We are literally in a, a bedroom in our house with mattresses against the wall. Um, so we're nothing fancy. And so getting that five star review and comment really means a lot to us. So anyway, so Shelby was uh, telling us actually a, a really funny story about her mail getting stolen. Oh, no. So she had noticed that there were a couple of packages going to her apartment complex that hadn't been getting to her. And she was like, you know, she's not a big complainer. She's She was kind of sounded just like you, Jen, like this would happen to me, like yeah. whatever. But I'm not going to raise a stink about it. Like, I'm just it'll be fine. And so as we, we mailed her her card and her sticker because um, the T-shirts hadn't come in yet. And she, we told we mailed this like two, what, two and a half weeks ago now, her card and her sticker. Yeah. And she hadn't gotten it. And she was like, God fucking damn it. This that's it. I'm not like I can't take it anymore. They took my fucking duck murder to me sticker. I'm complaining. So she wrote. To, she went to like the post office, complained, and apparently the um, post office has been building a case for a couple of months now against her mail delivery guy, oh. who has been stealing not only her packages but other things. And like it's been she like it's been like totaling amount of like a couple hundred dollars of things that he has stolen from wow. Shelby personally. But he's been like taking other people's packages and just saying like, oh, I left it at the apartment complex. So it one, it's a felony to open somebody else's mail. Yeah. Two, it's stealing. Yeah. Uh, and he maybe he'll get something for like bootlegging if he's trying to resell like package, you know, if yeah. he's getting like clothes or whatever coming in. So Shelby's going to keep us posted, but she's being deposed next week to testify against it. So possibly our talk murder to me card and sticker is in case evidence. That's cool. Right now. And they're going to be like, what the fuck is talk murder to me? But we're going to send you, Shelby, another card and sticker along with your shirt. It'll be in the mail on Saturday. But anyway, that was our little spiel. Thank you. Theodore Bundy. Let's do it. Somebody recap. He escaped. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to join the community, go talkmurder.com slash join. It's not just about evidence photos. It's about getting a freaking awesome t-shirt, man. That's true. Yeah. T-shirts came in. They look great. We are going to be, as as long as those mailers come in tomorrow, I'm going to be shipping them out Saturday. He he escapes. I put the photos of the escape. Right. Oh, with the light, with him yeah, like climbing picture, through the yeah. ceiling. That was nuts. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that he was boycotting his food. Yeah. So he's he's so sly. He's a wily right? coyote, that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So he was old wily Ted. The whole time he was <laughs> telling the judge and the jailers, all oh, this food is just terrible. And since he's defending himself, they actually got him a lot of things that he demanded. More books, more better food, all kinds of shit because he was defending himself. So he escapes and he takes a variety of methods to get down to Tallahassee, Florida. The most predominant one is he takes a bus down there. Man, we are very anti-bus on this podcast. 
Well, with that Greyhound I, I, episode yeah. that's yeah. on TalkMurder.com, that was a crazy one. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like if you're Ted Bundy and there's a psycho on the bus, you're probably a bigger psycho. You know yeah, what I'm that's true. They try to cut Ted Bundy's head off. He'll probably beat I'm you just, the No, punch. no, no. I'm just saying the fact that there's there are killers oh, yeah. who are taking public transportation via bus across oh, country. Oh, yeah. They probably do it all the time. Like, at, like if we got on the bus downtown in Charleston, we probably would run across one. Or, like, maybe probably more likely in New York City. Let's start interviewing. Let's start going on buses and interviewing people and ask if they're serial killers. Hi. Mm-hmm. Are you a serial killer? What would you do if they said yes? Okay, thanks. Bye. Like, <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> would you like to be on our podcast? <laughs> it's in our house. <laughs> uh, where are you going? Who are you killing? <laughs> <laughs> what are we drinking tonight? <laughs> That's a shirt. Oh, I want to say our tacos... On our forum, if you guys can design shirts, if you guys are good with photoshops and stuff like that, just submit a bunch of designs. Yes, and we'll we put will them put them on the store. Yeah, fashion because I want I want one that says where are we going, who are we killing, you know, what else? <gasps> I have an idea for a t shirt. Yeah. All right. Picture this. Future John, you don't have to put I'm this. I'm closing in the, my eyes. Picture this. The Canadian flag, <laughs> and under it says "Murder a." Eh? I like it. Or I think that that has broad selling potential. Yeah, like true crime and wine, you know? Yeah. All right. So he finally makes it down to Tallahassee, or, Florida. Or the Canadian flag and in the got milk text say, got a murdering problem or got a serial killer problem. Or just got murder. Got murder. A. Eh? <laughs> he makes it down to Tallahassee, Florida, and he settles in the Oak Apartments. I'm surprised nobody recognized him. No, I mean, no one recognizes him because he so he's uh, basically a continent away. I mean, they they know him in Washington. Wait, they Florida know him. is not a... Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. It's, yeah, I mean, he's, well, it was not... That had to have made national headlines, him escaping. Yeah, but, I mean, he was on the... At this point, But he's, he's a chameleon as well. Yeah, that's true. I forgot well, about that. Well, not that, but no one knew Ted Bundy in Florida. Mm. You know, that's a Washington thing. They, that's what they deal with. Mm. Who, who would have ever thought he came down to Florida? True, you know? no one would have guessed it. Even though at there. this point he is on the America's Most Wanted Top Ten list. Mm. I bet he was pretty high up there. Mm-hmm. He kind of settles in his apartment January 8th, 1978. Now, I'll tell you, when they finally did arrest Ted Bundy, if you're wondering how he's making his apartment payments and stuff like that, they found him with 22 stolen credit cards. From all the way to Oregon, to Tallahassee, to everywhere. I mean, he was just stealing them straight out of people's purses. Wow. So he was funding his lifestyle like that. And in Rule's book, she says she believes that he went down there to, to start a new life. And by start a new life, I mean not go on killing rampages. And that happened, right? You guys can see that. No. no. If you're a sexual, what is it Psychopath. called? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're it's an addiction. You don't you can't. I mean, maybe prison helped him stop cold turkey. But I mean, I'd have a hard time believing that he has the willpower to do that. Yeah. Once he started. The Oak Apartments is pretty close to a sorority house. Mm. And this story right here kind of puts Ted Bundy into perspective. So he he escapes prison twice. Now, his mindset is he's literally running for his life. He doesn't know when he's going to get caught or mm. killed. 
and he's just trying to just get it all out, you know, and he's like on a rampage times 10. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's at the end of his rope. He's like, "Fuck it, I might as well do anything I want." Yeah. Oh dear, can only imagine what this means. Mm. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and get through this, and then we're gonna talk about the Ted Bundy thing. He was settled in January eighth, nineteen seventy eight, into the Oak Apartments. Now his neighbors didn't really know him. They knew that he was some lawyer type that knew a lot about the law and police and stuff like that, but they didn't really talk to him. He's kind of a loner. And he was also hiding out. He didn't want to be seen in public. But he did steal a bike. I mean, he didn't even drive. He stole a bicycle and would literally go to the gas station, get groceries, milk, and whatever, and sit in his room. And then he started, he would get beer, and he would just drink, 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 drink. And that lasted about a week until that urge came back. Mm -hmm. Because there's something in Ted Bundy. There's like this, almost, I don't know, like a demon or something. It's a straw, it's a very... It's like an addiction, a very strong it, it's addiction. Almost, it's almost like he's like Doodle Bob from SpongeBob. I don't know. You guys is. don't know what you guys don't know what I'm talking about. No. no, I don't watch SpongeBob. What's Doodle Bob, Jen? It's the episode where SpongeBob like gets this magic pencil and anything he draws comes to life. So he drew like he drew a picture of himself, but the cartoon became like. Like the Doodle Bob became like evil, and he was like on a rampage, hmm. killing fish. Just Google it. Okay. Now I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're, I mean, our listeners probably know what you're talking about. I hope John so. and I just live under a rock, apparently. Like Patrick. Who? <laughs> Is Patrick the star? Can we stop yeah. talking about SpongeBob? I'm trying to talk about a serial killer and murderer here. <laughs> Sorry, just when you said there's something inside Ted Bundy, that's what I thought of was Doodle Bob. Okay, so Ted Bundy Here. finally gets out. Now, he doesn't have a lot of money, and he does have yeah, stolen you mean out credit of the cards. Apart- out of his apartment? Yeah, he, he finally's oh, like, yeah. man, I can't be sitting here any longer drinking beer. I'm Ted motherfucking Bundy. I'm about to go kill some bitches. Ooh, I uh, <laughs> I'm leaving that in there. <laughs> yeah, I deserve yeah. that. <laughs> so read uh, this paragraph right here where it's marked. Marion Picano was at Sherrod's Lat Night 2, accompanied by her mate, Connie Hastings. Mary Ann had a somewhat disturbing encounter with a man she had never seen before. The slender, brown-haired man had stared at her until she grew uncomfortable. There was something about his eye, the way his eyes bore into her that made her skin crawl. At length, he had come over to her table, bringing her a drink, and asked her to dance. He was handsome enough, and there was no rational reason for her to feel so wary. No reason for her to refuse, really. Sherrod's was a place where one often danced with strangers. But as she rose to join him on the dance floor, she whispered to Connie, I think I'm about to dance with an ex-con. Ooh. The thing about Ted Bundy is, yeah, he's Zac Efron, and I really doubt the movie is going to portray the stuff I'm going to talk about tonight. But he is really good-looking. But during these years, because he has a stressful life, Killing people. Killing people is probably extremely stressful. Yeah. And not only that, do you guys remember the vampire killer, Richard Trenton Chase? How could we forget? How he was just, (laughs) didn't care about it. Permanently singed into my memory. If you guys have, let me just say, if you guys haven't listened to the mm, Blood Good to the Last Drop episode that we did on Halloween, all you need to know is, um, I'm just going to say penis straw. 
and um, enjoy. Enjoy that episode. Yeah. You're welcome. Karina, one of our Talkos Primos, actually messaged me and she was like, she says she's doing a forensic uh, criminology course and her assignment is to write about someone who has 100% schizophrenia. And I said, go look this guy up. Oh, God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I this guy is like 100%. You know, I think he's the only one we've covered that was 100% schizophrenic. Mm, That was really fucking Mm. bad. Oh, Oh, wait, but the bus guy, he had schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell her about the bus guy, too. Now, the whole time Ted Bundy, these years pass, he gets more of that disheveled look. Yeah, I could see that. It's almost like... Getting a little deranged, a little crazy. And if you see the photos, the before 1974 and then the 1978, his eyes are like permanently bloodshot. He's just not there. Which is strange, not strange, but interesting because you said before in our first episode that his victim said that he looked like he was in another worldly state. So I wonder if you compare early Ted to now, like what he would look like well that's why i was trying to yeah it's like as he progressed with his killing he's like starting to get more and more that's why you you just read that one passage is a passage the word yeah i feel like i'm reading from a bible no, you're right you right you right you thou shall not hit women over the head with a crowbar <laughs> then rape and murder them and then rape them again you just read yeah. that one nicole you just read that one passage and the reason i like wanted you to read that is because yeah the the girl this attractive looking guy comes up to this girl and asks for a dance that happens all the time. And she is like, yeah, he's really, you know, he's attractive and charming, but there was something that she couldn't put her finger on just something about the way he looked about something like people can sense it. And in other cases, even at the beach, 1974, like Sammamish, there were a half a dozen potential victims that actually went to his car and then got that feeling of just like the way he's looking is just something's not something doesn't line up with his character and not only line up with his character. And as it progresses, it's something evil. Some of the potential victims said they were just looking at him and they saw something evil mm-hmm. in him. So it's literally like a demon is forming if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. January 8th, 1978. He's in Tallahassee, Florida. We're going to be reading from Anne book. The timeline is extremely important. So I'm going to kind of be quoting from exactly from her book so mm-hmm. I can get the timeline right. We're going to be talking about Nancy Dowdy. She returned from a dinner date. These are sorority girls. We're going to the Chi Omega sorority house. And in fact, it's funny because... Uh, Ann Rule said she actually pledged there. I mean, way before this, she's hmm. older, but she was coincidence. A, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of coincidences between her and Ted Bundy. And in fact, when he was finally caught, one of the hmm. first people he called was Ann Rule at the sorority house. Nancy Dowdy returned from her dinner date a few minutes after Mulaney and Leslie did. Now they found that the door, the mechanism on the door, which is always shut tight and locked was just ineffective. It didn't work. Mulaney and her friend Margaret, they kind of brushed it off, and then they went to bed. She was asleep by 2.15. Okay, Nancy Dowdy was asleep by 2.15 in the morning. Okay, this is January 14th, 1978. Six days later. No, it's the same night he was at the bar. Yeah, but six days after he, like, settled in. Yeah, yeah. Ted Bundy at the time was 32 years old. 
2.35 a.m. Exactly, because Margaret's clock, she looked at it, and then Mulaney, her friend, said goodnight to her. Now, there's mm-hmm. sorority, so they're, like, jumping around, and they're... <laughs> maybe, no, maybe, that's not what happens. <laughs> I, can, I can 100% confirm that that's not what happens. <laughs> you didn't even know what I was going to say. Yes, we did. We they were jumping right. around in their bras and panties and, and playing pillow fight. fights. No, yes, that's, that's, that's not, not what happens. happens. It is not. Yes. I can 100% confirm that is not what happens. I mean, we didn't have a <laughs> That's what happens house. in my mind. Yeah, of course it is, because you're yes, a dude. That's what happens in every man's <laughs> mind. So they were jumping around and hitting each other with pillows. <laughs> no matter how hard we try, Nicole, that's just what the story is going to be. He will, he yeah. will do whatever it takes. So that, that's what is happening in this story. Oh, man. Uh, I'm sorry. You're not. You're, You're not funny. sorry. Mulaney, she had a digital clock and she turned out the light and she looked over. It was 245. So they got home 2.15, now it's 2.45, everyone's shut-eye going to bed. I mean, they had their pillow fight, and they're going to bed. Now, at 3 a.m., another sorority girl, Nita Neary, arrived at the Chi Omega house. She was with her boyfriend. They just came out. Now, this, this was a Saturday night. It's cold. Well, you know, it's in Florida. Kind of cold. It's in January. It's probably, it's probably not that like cold. like 60s. Yeah. But there were parties everywhere. I mean, Big Keggers is huge, huge night. And no one's ever heard of Ted Bundy. It's probably like the first night back of the semester. Yeah. Like first yeah. weekend back. Yeah. When Nita, she got there at 3 a.m. to the house, she finds the back door open. It's standing wide open, which is is weird. Okay? Because that never really happens. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly she hears a loud thump. Ow! Oh, I just hit the microphone. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> She hears a loud thump. Remember when we used the books to make sound effects? <laughs> <laughs> now she looks outside because she thinks her boyfriend, drunk, just tripped and face planted into his car, and she was trying to laugh about it. But then she looks out the window, he's walking just fine. And then right after that, above her, because this is like <gasps> multi story houses, mm-hmm. she hears somebody running <laughs> through the, on the corridor, <laughs> like running, it's full sprint. So she's like, what the fuck? See, I'm going to correct you again, because if it were me running, it would sound more like this. <gasps> <laughs> Hold on. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Nita moves to the doorway leading into the foyer. She's hiding kind of out of sight because she knows somebody's going to come downstairs. She's on the first floor and she hears these footprints i mean not footprints just like right yeah running sorry running like fast pace so she hides like in this little corridor waiting for this person to come down the stairs and she sees a slender man wearing a dark jacket and a navy blue cap what she told police was a toboggan i love that word toboggan like a watch cap that was pulled down over the half top of his face See, in, in the New England area, if you said he wore a toboggan, we you think you had a sled, a sled on his yeah. head. Yeah, a sled. A, a sled. a sled. a sled? Yeah. Yeah. A sled on his head? Yeah. Toboggan, well, you said toboggan. Toboggan in the Northeast, we use that word for sled. I wasn't going to say anything, but I did but think I, it. But I was like, just let I've, the story I've go, Jane. That that's what? just a different, it's a different term. 
Why would you put parts. a sled on your head? Because the a sled is called a toboggan. Oh, the sled is called a toboggan. That makes sense. And I was like, what the fuck do you guys do up there? It's just got to be heavy. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we're so strong. It's like, we put sleds on our heads. I was like, don't instead, just... you know, the cultures that put books on their heads, we yeah. just walk around with freaking toboggans on our heads. <laughs> sleds. So yeah. is a toboggan a specific type of hat? It's, it's like, like a, a trapper hat? Yeah, no, it's like just like hat. a knit cap. I, we wear toboggans all the time. This, this one you got with the that's, fuzzy thing that's is a tob- toboggan, yeah. Okay. Oh. Hmm. I thought when you said toboggan, I was thinking like, you know, the hat. that the has trapper the t- hat with yeah, the ears. With the fur. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was mm-hmm. thinking. Now, the man held, held some kind of club. Something. Something was in his hand. A club or something. Mm-hmm. Now, she couldn't make out the facial features. Partly because she was hiding out. This guy, okay, the first thing she thinks of was shit. One of these girls done left the damn door open. I've seen it. Someone came up in here and robbed us. All right, someone's about to get yelled at. Yeah, so she's like, shit. So what she do, she wakes up the housemaid, or the what's it, the housewoman? Uh, house mother. House mother. And they go through kind of the upstairs, but nothing's missing. Nothing seems to be wrong. Nothing at all. No one's missing? They think it's just a burglary. They go back upstairs trying to decide what they should do. Should we call the cops? What should we do? Then they saw Karen Chandler come out of her room number eight. She's running down the hall. She's banging all into walls trying to come down the hall. She's hysterical. There's blood all over her. They thought she was ill. One of the girls runs after her. Karen's head was covered with blood, blood that streamed down over her face, and she seemed to be delirious. Nancy led her into her her own room and gave her a towel to help stanch the flow of blood. Yikes. Nancy finally calls 911. She's hysterical. The cops show up at the house. It's Kai Omega House, 661 West Jefferson. The dispatcher at the time, she thought it was a domestic thing. She thought... Two of the girls were fighting over one of them's boyfriend. Oh, that's, that's what the dispatch stereotypical. Mm-hmm. But then again, nothing happens here. They don't have Ted Bundy's in this part of Florida. Okay, yeah, true. Nicole, can you read this, please? Paramedics Don Allen, Amelia Roberts, Lynn Lee Finney, and Gary Matthews were directed to the second floor where the victims lay moaning. Allen and Roberts worked on Kathy. Kleiner. Kathy was conscious, but she had lacerations and puncture wounds on her face, a broken jaw, broken teeth, and possible skull fractures. Mm. Someone had given her a container to catch the blood that gushed from her mouth. She called her boyfriend and for her pastor. She had no idea at all what happened to her. She had been sound asleep. Okay, do you guys want to guess what happened? I'm assuming he raped her. He probably hit her over the head with a crowbar and knocked her teeth out. In the mouth, yeah. Maybe she played dead. I'm surprised it didn't take the body, though. The police go to Karen Chandler's room. Alan's supervisor, Lee Finney, then moved to help Karen Chandler. She, too, had a broken jaw, broken teeth, possible fractures of the skull, and cuts. The paramedics fought to open the airway for both of the injured girls to keep them from choking to death on their own blood. Mm. Bits of bark, oak bark, covering their pillows and bedclothing. 2021 is the 25th anniversary of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, the last comprehensive update to Internet regulation. The Internet has experienced more than a few updates since 1996, but Internet regulations have not. 
That's why Facebook supports updated regulations on key issues like preventing election interference, protecting people's privacy, reforming Section 230, and more. See Facebook's progress on key issues and what's next at about.fb.com regulations. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Karen did not remember anything either. She had been, t- she too had been sleeping when the man had hammered her blows on the head. Here's what happened: within 15 minutes. Of all the girls getting home and going to sleep within 15 minutes of all the women getting back to the sorority house till the time that Nita sees the perpetrator run out the door. Four girls were brutally bashed in two dead, which we're going to get to. The police noticed one thing. There was bark, tree bark all over the room. Hit him with a tree branch? I mean, there was... There was blood, like, on the face. There was bark on the blood in the face, like, embedded in the face. Hmm. Police found the weapon because it was thrown outside right by where he picked it up in the little basket of firewood that they used to keep warm. Someone had picked up a piece of firewood, went into that sorority house, and started Beating these women to death within 15 minutes of each other. It was a fucking nightmare. Lisa Levy was room number four. An officer ran to her room and they called out for her. Lisa, 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 wake up. And there was no answer. She was on the bed, but she did not move at all. The medical team rushes in there. They check for a pulse. None was found. They pulled her onto the floor. Mouth to mouth. CPR. Her complexion was pallid, her lips blue, her skin already cooling, and yet paramedics could not see exactly what was wrong with her. She wore a nightgown. Her panties lay on the floor beside the bed. She was most likely the one that got sexually assaulted. And if you want to read this paragraph. Alan cut off her nightgown, searching for some injury that had caused her condition. He saw pronounced swelling around her jaw, a condition usually produced by strangulation and an injury on her right shoulder, an ugly purpling bruise. Her right nipple had been almost bitten off. So that's a different MO for him, too. Yeah, he's, like, different now. I wonder if it he seems almost, I don't know if I want to say he's more aggressive, but yeah. he's almost, like, sloppier because he didn't take the bodies, and yeah. he's, try, he's attacking four, leaving two alive. Yeah. Did, like, someone hear what happened and, like, they all came and ran and started attacking him? These girls were asleep. Like, just like when he was in Washington, he would creep into your room and hit you with a crowbar. Now he he doesn't have a crowbar, but he's got a fire piece of firewood. Mm. Now, remember, Melanie and Margaret, they got home together. She distinctly remembers saying goodnight to her 45 minutes earlier she pushes the door open a little because she wants to make sure margaret's okay and thank god she's in her bed she's safe see melanie says to the police i told you she was home now the police stopped in the hall turned on the light 
and immediately pushed Melanie back into the hall. And he's like, go get the paramedics right now. Margaret Bowman lay on her face. The covers pulled up and around her neck, but he'd seen the blood on her pillow moving closer. He could see the red liquid that had welled up on the right side of her head and clotted in her ear. Oh, God, he could actually see into her brain. Her skull had been shattered. Wow. So if you can see the transition of rage, the acceleration now that he's in Florida of just pure hatred and almost superhuman strength to just take that log and just bash someone in the head with it as hard as he can. Four people in 15 minutes. Yeah. And you get like you can see brain matter within exactly minutes, yeah like and there's you walk into one of these rooms it's like blood and bark is are sticking to the walls bark fucking bark Jeez. we have firewood in our house yeah if you t- if i take that with all my strength and hit it on the concrete probably only just a little bit of bark will come off so how hard did he take that piece of wood oh, everything he's got. and hit? Especially since he's like exactly. he's lost so much weight. Yeah, exactly. Like he is putting. He put superhuman strength in hitting these girls right in the skull. That fucking bark came off. Something I can't even do if I'm slamming it with all my might against cement. So there was some cement. Cement. There was something deep inside of him that was. Just in this murderous lust rage. It was awful. Well, this is what was his first time killing since he was in prison for a long time. Too. Yeah, that's so it's, maybe. A lot I mean, how do you know? Yeah, I mean, know. You, we traveled through like 10 different states. In fact, there was a hitchhiker that he had picked up at one point. Did he kill them? I, I'm sure he did. I mean, I'm sure he killed a hundred or so people. Mm-hmm. There's also. Two of them that he killed and admitted that I didn't even want to talk about on this podcast. Because one of them's 12 years old. Oh, God. And the other one's 14. Well, you said that during the first episode. No, I'm talking about when he's 30, he kills a 12-year-old. Did he assault, sexually assault? Yeah. Wow. I I was going to skip that, but at least you guys know. This is, and that's not his MO, right? This is him trying to get it all out because he knows he's done for. The end is near. Right. The end is near. This is the decline and fall of Ted Bundy. This is everything's going to shit. I might as well just do the most wreckage I can. Mm. Just wreck everything I can as fast as I can. That is in his mind. I mean, to do some of this stuff. Yeah. There was bark everywhere, on the bed, caught in the girl's hair, glued to her face by blood, and yet there seemed to have been no struggle at all. Margaret Bowman still wore a shorty yellow nightgown and a gold necklace was caught up in the stocking around her neck. Her panties, however, lay on the floor at the end of the bed. There was one case that you had mentioned of his, I I can't remember if it was in part one or part two, and he used an object to yeah, that was like part one. mutilate. Did was that something that he did that one time, or was that something else that he did? That was um every other like on occasion. That was Joni Lynn's. Yeah, he took that bedpost and rammed it. Yeah, but she lived. He rammed it so far into her organs, upper vagina, that it just you know. Did but it, did, was that something that he did often? 
Here's the thing about Ted Bundy. This whole, like, romanticizing Ted Bundy is kind of drives me insane now that I'm doing all this research because he's a very sadistic person. A couple of the heads he would cut off and and he would go revisit the bodies. Um, There was a couple of times where he would keep like two or three corpses and dress them up and and do kind of what Dennis Nielsen did. Would he have sex with them? Yeah, he would do that. So there's nothing romantic about this guy. And in fact, his it's a it's an awful awful story, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, especially this, you go into a sorority house and in fifteen minutes, you de- completely destroy the lives of four people. Two of them are dead. Mm-hmm. So was he? So the girl saw him as he was running out the sorority house. Like, she, did police know right away? Oh shit, that's Ted. They still didn't know it was Ted. They won't know it is Ted for a long time. Wow. I mean, in this episode. But. I'm surprised. That was crazy. That just happened to. That was a crazy night, wasn't it? Yeah. And of course, it's now three in the morning is over. There can't be anything else that happens. Can there? Well, we're talking about Ted Bundy. So the night's still young. Mm-hmm. All the cops start piling up there. And now they're looking for someone. That no one can describe because it was pitch black and he was wearing the toboggan. I mean, to look for a guy with bark and blood all over him. I don't know. An old frame duplex at 431 Dunwoody Street was approximately eight blocks from the Chi Omega house. And Ann Roll states, closer as, a, as the crow flies. I love that little, it's kind of a southern mm-hmm. thing, mm. you know, basically two tenths of a mile. There lived Debbie, a girl named Nancy, and a girl named uh, Cheryl Thompson. Now, Debbie and Nancy lived in apartment A. Cheryl Thompson lived in apartment B. Now, these apartments, now this is the same night, literally 310 now. These apartments, they have walls that are paper thin. Mm -hmm. So you can hear everything that's going on in the other room. Now, these girls were good friends and they had a security measure. Okay, here's what happens. Uh Anytime I call either one of the apartments, if Cheryl calls Nancy or if Nancy calls Cheryl, you pick up. That's our security measure. As we talked about last episode, women need these security measures, you know. Yep. They're in their apartment and they hear Cheryl in the other room moaning and it's like she was suffering almost like maybe she fell or something I don't know Cheryl Thomas she was a tall girl and and actually she was a training ballerina Mm. Debbie shook Nancy awake because she heard something in the next room Cheryl was moaning whimpering maybe a bad dream I don't know So she crept to the phone, called her boyfriend, and the boyfriend's like, no, it's probably just some guy over there. You know, they're probably, you know, it's fine. But Debbie having a bad feeling about it because they have a security protocol. I don't care if you're in the middle of the most roughest sex of your life. If I call, you're going to pick up, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh. even during. So they they immediately call her. The phone rings. Of Cheryl's apartment, they the one right next they door. They can hear it. They can. They can, they can it, yeah, right. exactly. They can hear the phone ring. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they can still hear her moaning. She is in there. The phone rings once, twice, 
three times, four times, five times. Fuck it. Something's wrong. She's sick or something. Call the police. Call the police. This was at 437. Mm-hmm. So all the police are eight blocks away still. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. They didn't know this. They're so far away that they didn't see the sirens or hear the sirens. Shockingly, the police immediately get there. And they're like, what the fuck? Because it's, usually they just send one car, maybe a ambulance or something. The whole squadron came. There were like 13, oh, 15 they, they, cars. They just, had a feeling it was this guy. Just freaking barreled right into the freaking driveway. Got out, ran inside. like a, And they thought it was some kind of rage. Some kind of like crazy, like, what's going on? Hmm. I mean, I just called because my friend is... Possibly. Yeah, they're like, whoa, well, they br- yeah. brought, it, brought everybody here. Yeah, no shit. So they immediately knew something was going on. The next thing they hear is one of the detectives say, oh my God, she's still alive. And I'm going to get you to read this. Dozier in pain attempted to help the girl in the bed. Cheryl was semi-conscious, whimpering, unresponsive to anything the policeman said to her. Her face was turning purple with bruises. It was swollen. She seemed to have suffered severe head wounds. She lay on the bed, twisting with pain and groaning. Cheryl wore only panties. Her breasts were exposed. The sweater she'd worn when she went to bed had been ripped off. We're going to read a little bit of the autopsy reports just to drive in the fact of how brutal this was, like how much force he had put. Because I'm trying to like build the psychology profile of this guy that you don't see, you know. I can't see Zac Efron freaking playing this but anyway i mean it's probably a good movie here's read that one cheryl thomas's injuries were the worst her skull fractured in five places causing permanent hearing loss in her left ear her jaw was broken her shoulder was dislocated her eighth cranial nerve was damaged to such an extent that not only was she deafened but the young dancer would never have normal equilibrium Mm. oh poor girl he began the autopsy on lisa's body at 10 a.m Lisa had been strangled, leaving the characteristic pectactical hemorrhages in the strap muscles of her neck, a ligature mark on her throat. She had a bruise on her forehead, scratches on her face. X-rays showed that her right collarbone had been broken by a tremendous blow. It was Wood's opinion that she had been rendered unconscious by the blows to the head. If she was, it was a small blessing. Her right nipple was attached only by a thread of tissue. But this mutilation was not the worst. There was a double bite mark on her on the left buttock. Her killer had literally torn at her buttock with his teeth, leaving four distinct rows of marks where the teeth had sunk in. Lisa had been sexually assaulted, but not in the usual sense. An unyielding object had been jammed into her body, tearing and bruising the rectal orifice and the vagina vault, causing hemorrhaging in the lining of the womb and other internal organs. The weapon had been which to which had been inflicted this damage was later found in the room. It was a Clairol hair mist bottle with a nozzle top. The water was stained with blood, fecal matter, and hair. The man who attacked Lisa Levy as she lay in sleep had struck her, strangled her, and torn at her like a rabid animal, and then ravished her with the bottle. And then apparently he had covered her up and left her lying quietly on her side, the covers pulled up almost tenderly around her shoulders. The postmortem on Margaret Bowman began at 1 p.m. that gray Sunday. The blows that dealt to the right side of the girl's head had caused depressed fractures, diving the broken pieces of skull into the brain itself. The area of trauma was complicated, meaning to the layman that there was such extensive splintering of the skull that it was hard to tell where one fracture ended and the next began. 
The ugly wounds began to began above the right eye and continued behind the right ear, crushing and pulverizing the delicate brain tissue beneath. One fracture was two and a half inches in diameter, and the damage behind the ear was four inches in diameter. Oddly, it would seem at the first at first there was more damage to the left side of the brain than the right. But there was an explanation. The force dealt to Margaret's head was so tremendous that her brain had been slammed against the left side of the skull when she had been struck with the oak club on the right. Jesus. The force, the force that he hit her in the skull with was so tremendous. Jesus. Can that you was, imagine? That was rough to listen to. And this is... Yeah. It must have been rough to like read firsthand. You gotta hear that. This that is like... He already brutalized four women not even an hour ago. He starved himself in prison to escape. He doesn't eat anything but probably canned beans and whatever's cheap. How the hell's he got this strength? What I'm trying to say is this it's have you ever heard it's, of He's like motivated beyond yeah. a reason. Have you ever heard of like um a woman's and her baby she sees her baby gets trapped under a car? Yeah. And then she, like, gets super fucking human strength and lifts the car. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm thinking here. Yeah. It's like, you get this, you get this other strength that your body, it it reminds me of, um. It's really scary. Like, it's almost, like, I get why he's so prolific now. It's, you don't see this type of obsession and, like, brutality so many times over. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. the spree killing, too. Like, this, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's just, like, I mean, it also reminds me of one of my favorite books. It's called The Power of the Subconscious Mind. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about in the Boston fires. When the Boston fires broke out, there were reports of people that were completely handicapped from birth that were in wheelchairs that have never been able to move their legs. But as soon as that fire breaks out, there is a lot of reports of them escaping, mm-hmm. of them w- walking and running out. Hmm. Interesting. Because if you're, and that's the same, it's kind of the same thing, but he doesn't have the energy to do this. Mm-hmm. You Adrenaline. know? Adrenaline. It's yeah. like, it's something else that, to, I mean, you read it to hit her skull so I, hard. But he, the, the the thing that's so crazy, you're right. It's adrenal, adrenaline. Like, that's what makes a mother lift or whatever, lift a car or someone get out of a wheelchair when they need to. Like, it's like that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. But he has it with killing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, like, he, his life is not in danger. He's not well, he was in fighting back in he response. Was in he was in flight response. But he, but he fought. Yeah. He it's, had fight and flight response. Yeah. But it's just strange that he, he's like, he's not reacting to something. Right. Or against something. He is yeah. acting this way deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all, it's almost well, like. But something in his mind is making him think he's got to do it. I yeah. Think. All those women were like. I was looking into his eyes and there was like no no one there yeah. kind of thing. You know? It's like otherworldly. Yeah, it's really weird to think about. And sort of ironic, not to be funny obviously, but the pantyhose l- literature that was cut from Margaret's neck was buried so deep that it could hardly even be seen in the flesh when they first <gasps> saw it. Oh and my god. It was actually the the pantyhose was the Hanes brand. Yeah. With the Quote, alive 
support. Oh. Just kind of a ironic, kind of dark statement. Yeah. Not to make fun of it, but it's just kind of dark, you know. Yeah. Um. So that's uh, that's what happened that night. <laughs> <laughs> just like, what the fuck? The regular Saturday night. And yeah. now at the Thanks, whole time, he's going by all these other names like Chris Hagen. That's how he introduces himself. But now he's in Tallahassee. He's got to he's got to move around because now he doesn't. Now they're looking for him here. Mm-hmm. But they still don't they know don't it's know Ted. It's Ted. Yeah. I don't know how they do don't freaking know understand. it's Ted. Because, I mean, his MO is a little bit different, but yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. I don't know. They just do not know it's Ted. I told you about one. This was after there was a 12-year-old girl that he abducted. Yeah. I don't want to get into that, but he basically pulled up in a van. Pretending, this is when he was in Florida? Yeah, pretending. Because now, now he's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like, he's he's... This no, is the decline and fall. This is like doing everything he can because he knows he's about to get caught. It's just like as much destruction as possible. Mm-hmm. Now he's going after little kids. That's disgusting. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's why you don't romanticize this guy because he fucking rapes 12-year-old girls. But anyway. Um, Did he kill them too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One, he killed and kept the body. Oh, no. I'm going to skip all that. I can't even deal with that right now. Now, let me tell you how he finally got caught. Here's how he gets caught. So he steals a Volkswagen bug. Oh. He, just, yeah. He steals the Volkswagen bug. Wait, he had a Volkswagen bug and then he stole another one? Yeah, he stole another one. David Lee, the patrolman in Pensacola. So guess where old Ted Bundy is right now? Pensacola, Pensacola. Florida. Yep. Oh, I didn't know he was there. Very nice beaches. Lee's attention was drawn to an orange VW bug emerging from the alley near Oscar's Oscar Warner's restaurant. He noticed that it was suspicious, and he did a U-turn. He came back, and he noticed the Volkswagen was cruising slowly. The Volkswagen. But there's been no violations at this point. He just wanted to see who was driving it. He picked up the microphone, requested warrants on the like the license plate. So he pulls over this bug, which obviously has got Bundy in it. And it's stolen. It's stolen, Yeah. Ann Rule in her book says, Ted Bundy's life has a way of running in circles. Once before, he raced away from a policeman in a Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once before, he finally pulled over. That had been way back in August 1975, way back in Utah. This was Pensacola, Florida, and the officer ordering him out of the car had a deep southern drawl. So what happened is he tries to pull him over, and then Ted's like, fuck this. I'm booking it in this Volkswagen. Why do I keep saying that? Volkswagen. <laughs> he books it up to 60 miles an hour, which is a lot for a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I'm picturing um, from the Grinch when he's like in yes. the toy car? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so he ordered him to lie face down because he finally pulls over. Ass up? Yeah, face down, ass up. And Ted refused. And finally, he got one handcuff on and then they started rumbling. The police officer shot into the air, which sent Ted running. Oh. And then the police officer was running after him, and he told him he was going to shoot, and he shoots, and then Ted falls to the ground. Does he actually, does he hit him? He runs over and sees that he didn't hit Ted. It was another ruse for Ted. And then he tries to get the gun, and they have this whole battle out. Finally, he gets him handcuffed. Ted's hands are behind his back, handcuffed. He didn't realize, Ann Rule says, he had not the slightest idea 
in the world that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted criminals. Now, the whole ride to the station, he kept repeating, I wish you would have just killed me. And he actually says, "Wow, if, I get, if we get to the station and I, and I run, can you kill me? Wow. He, so his, his mind right now is death, suicide, just in the darkest of dark. He would have killed that cop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't have hesitated. Now, the opportunity. they get him there. They ask his name. His name is Ken Meisner, which was a fake name. Ken Meisner was actually a track star that he had stole the identity of. Mm. He had got a driver's license made because back then, driver's license didn't have photos. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, thanks to really? people like Ted they, Bundy. They we, didn't? No, they didn't. There's no photos on it, but you would have to have a driver's license and like credit card to prove that your identity. So he had like three forms of Ken Meisner's identity. Now he kept saying his name was Ken Meisner. At this point, they still don't know who Ted Bundy is. No idea. And he actually... They don't know who Ted Bundy is or they don't know he's Ted Bundy? They don't... Probably both. Mm. They don't know anything. Now he he requested bail... Ted Bundy's like, I I know the law. I I need a bell set. And the judge actually says, because this is Southern, he's like, son, I can't give you bail if I don't even know your name. You tell us your real name and then I'll give you bail. And he didn't, obviously. Now, he did get an attorney, a very prominent attorney in Atlanta that he called that specializes in homicide. So right then when... They figured out that he called that one attorney. They were like, okay, this may be bigger than we thought. Eventually, soon after, because for like literally weeks, he's in prison, no name. He did not say his name at all. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? It's just crazy that they couldn't figure out the fuck out who he was. No one could figure it out. No one. They finally figured out, oh, this is the Ted Bundy. Then it starts... The trial of the century. Now, this is the first trial ever in the United States to be publicly viewed on television. How cool is that? Yeah. And do you remember the bite mark that he put into Lisa Levy? Yep. By the grace of God, luckily, because they didn't have a lot of evidence on Ted Bundy. Because he didn't leave a lot of evidence. That bite mark was one of the things that really got him. Because the coroner actually cut out the basically the skin and preserved it. And in court, you know, Ted's defending himself, obviously, again. In He's court, defending himself again? Yeah. And in fact, he turned down a plea bargain of a lifetime. It was 75 years in prison. He turned that down. What? Because if it wasn't for that, he'd get the death penalty. So he didn't turn it down necessarily, but he claimed that his lawyers were against him and they were just trying to... He just sabotaged the whole thing for himself. So now he's, you know, he eventually gets put on death row. But being the first public case, and we're going to see a lot of the videos later when we watch it, it's on TV and people not only get to see a case, but they get to see a very entertaining case of Ted trying to look at all the evidence himself, cross testify all these witnesses. And for like the bite mark, he was like, no, that's the bite mark shrank. So you can't say it's from me. And in fact, one time, Ted was in a cell. They came and got him 
at like three in the morning. And he's like, what is this? What is this? He thought the sheriff, because I mean, they're down in Florida now. Rules are a little different down there. He thought the sheriff was going to take him out and take him out, take mm-hmm. him out to the back roads and just do him in. Mm-hmm. And then they pull out of the prison. He sees all these media cameras everywhere. And they pull into this little dental office. And then right as soon as Ted knows what's going on, because they're going to get his dental records, he starts screaming. And this is one of the first times you see the other side of Ted, hmm. the the face that you never see. That face, the face of pure hatred. You see faces like that because he's like, you can't do that. I know my rights. You can't take my dental records because if they can match those dental records to that bite mark, they got them. But they can do that legally. They can. Absolutely. They can. No, they can't just come and say that. They can't come and take his dental records. No, no, they can't. They can't just make you. They can't just sit you in a chair and do that. Now, most people just go along with it. But if you know the law, like Ted did, he's like, I know I know my rights. You can't do that at all. So he goes in there and then the sheriff is like, yep, Ted, I thought you were going to say that. That's why. And he pulls out a piece of paper. That's why we got these here search warrants. He has three search warrants on Ted's mouth. Hmm. The first time in history a search there warrant was go. ever created for someone's mouth. <laughs> wow. I mean, way to fucking get around yeah. that. Jeez. So Ted, after all his screaming and stuff, he just sits back in the chair and he says, now, you know, I'm innocent, but go ahead. What? <laughs> yeah. Just like that. They do his teeth. Now, he has a gap in his teeth that's very, very distinct from anyone else's. So he knew right there. And in the trial, he was like, yeah, between his front teeth In the trial, he was like, you can't use those because they're it's shrank and that's they don't fit exactly. But the coroner actually put a um, like a ruler next to it before he put it in the the solution Mm -hmm. to show the exact measurement. So then they got another scientist to actually map it out. Yes, this is Ted's teeth. Wow. So they got him on there. Yeah. The whole time he thought he was getting out of all this. And he was representing himself. He was like, they don't even have a case. They don't even have any evidence. But as soon as they got his teeth, that's when he Dunzo. knew. He was done mm-hmm. when they found him with his teeth. They they knew he knew he was done. And he got tried. And it's so funny seeing like outside the courthouse and everything else. There were protesters with all these signs that say like Ted burn, burn, Ted burn, all this stuff. You know, there were on another side, there were supporters of Ted. There was a lot of girls like uh, Ted actually got married to a girl named Carol Ann Boone. That was. Yeah. And you remember making a murderer? Yeah. Where that woman came in and married Stephen Avery? Yeah. Yeah. But at least I kind of believe that Stephen Avery might be innocent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the same premise. You got groupies like that. And in fact. Somewhere out there is a little Miss Ted Bundy. (gasps) (laughs) Ted Bundy fathered one daughter that is still alive. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's the one thing you... <laughs> so she must be like 30. She's she... almost... She, she's around our age. Yeah, there's a female Bundy out there. <laughs> Whoa. That's blowing yeah. my mind a little bit right now. Maybe she'll listen to this podcast. Mm, doubt it. <laughs> Give us a one star. <laughs> fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they finally... 
decided now this is years after he's on death row. Obviously he lost the trial. A lot of the bodies he never even con- confessed to. And he took him a while to confess to anything. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because right before he was getting executed here, I'll show you this one video. You know, it's interesting when I saw all the promos of Ted Bundy, I assumed actually that he was married with kids. Really? Well, he yeah. did get married with a kid. But I like you know how they they like show pictures of him with like another family, but I guess that was a relationship that he had with somebody else. Maybe. So this is during his Why last interview. Ted Bundy doesn't like to take the blame for anything. Uh, I hope no one will try to take the easy way out and to try to blame or otherwise accuse my my family of contributing to this because I know and I'm trying to tell you as honestly as I know how what happened and I think this is a message I want to get across but as a young a young boy and I mean the boy of 12 or 13 certainly uh, that I encountered outside the home again uh, in the local grocery store, the local uh, uh, drugstore, the softcore pornography, what people call softcore. From time to time, we come across uh, pornographic books of a harder nature than uh, more uh, graphic, you might say, more explicit nature than we would encounter, let's say, in your local grocery store. The most damaging uh, kinds of pornography, and again, I'm talking from personal experience, hard, real, personal experience. The most damaging kinds of pornography are those that involve violence and, and sexual violence. Because the wedding of those two forces, as, as I know only too well, brings about behavior that is just, uh, is just uh, too terrible to describe. Yeah. I agree. If it's, like, mm-hmm. violent, then there's probably something wrong. He's blaming porn. That's, that's how he went Ooh-hoo. out. He went out blaming porn. And he got uh, electrocuted. So that's my Ted Bundy story. Thank Jesus that I'm done with that because oof, that was rough. Wow. I feel like it's almost like a weight off our shoulders that yeah. we finally tackled Ted Bundy. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, there's so much about that case that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the storytelling. I'm glad you can finally get out of Ted Bundy's head. So remember, guys, um, if you want to win John's copy of Anne Rule that has his notes and markers and, you know, where where we read out loud um, and you'll get some it'll be signed by all of us and some Talk Murder to Me stickers. Leave us a kick ass five star review on iTunes. Got to be iTunes. And we will pick a lucky winner to get this swag bag. And we really appreciate that. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of Talk Murder to Me. Until next time. And partly because... I just... My voice cracked. (laughs) That was cute. It was. It was like, well, Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Partly because... Sheldon from Big Bang. Are y'all gonna say something or... (laughs) (laughs) Go, Pats. I'm cutting up. I, I know. I thought I'd give it a shot. Can I pop a beer in here? Your cousin. From Boston. Sam Adams Boston Lager is my go-to beer. Not too heavy, not too light. Oh, boy. That's... Oh, no. Is that on the computer? Sam Adams Boston Lager. The Boston Beer Company. Boston, Massachusetts. Drink responsibly. At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. 
It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout.